Just imagine someone who comes home after a long, hard day at work and then sits down and then realizes he needs to get up and serve his family. Can you imagine a two-year-old who instead of bursting out in hot rage against those who took his toy, in gentleness shares? Or a 30-year-old who, who instead of saying that's not my problem in coldness and kindness and love says, I will help. And can you imagine that being done not to gain a reward, not because they're afraid they'll lose their freedom, not because they have to prove their worth to their parole officer, but doing it in freedom, doing it because it's who they now are and it's worked in them. Not because they have to, but because they are free and led by the Spirit of God. Rather than telling God's people to go ahead and, and do better, he says, this is what God works in his people. This is what he produces in their lives as those who are free. The following is from Lack of Ages, Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, reaching out with rock-solid hope in Rim Country. August 4th, 2019, Galatians 5, 13 to 26. Erlone Woods started a 31 years to life sentence in a medium security prison. But after just two decades, his prison sentence was commuted and he was allowed to re-enter into society, a free man once again. And as he walked about and saw how after 20 years, just about a year ago when he was released, the world had changed a lot. He noted a lot of people were walking around with their heads bowed down. Of course, he understood the phenomenon was really explained by everybody was staring at their smartphone. See, the world had changed since he had been sentenced in the late 90s. But the outside world wasn't the only thing that changed during that time. See, when Woods was released, he too had a whole new perspective on life. And the, the freedom that he now had was something he all the more appreciated. And part of the reason why he was released early was because the governor commuted his sentence, citing that he had learned to help other people and had been very helpful and insightful with his podcast that he had been producing while in prison. See, Woods was co-producing a podcast that he called Ear Hustle which gave an insight into the, the lives of those that often are disregarded or forgotten, the people who go through the prison system and their journey through it all. In one of those episodes that I was listening to, I found it quite insightful and interesting that it described the life of two different men as they were released from jail, from prison. And as they were released, it showed and interviewed their life as they progressed and adjusted to life of freedom outside the prison walls. One of those men struggled to live his life of freedom and started leaning back to the tendencies of his former life. And yet another had a plan and was following that plan and was successful in his new life and on the right track and enjoying his freedom with a new life. See, having freedom, being free, is sometimes a hard thing to adjust to. And though maybe you probably haven't been in prison yourself, most of you I'm guessing, you can probably still relate a little bit to what those two different men were struggling against. 
That's because Scripture describes us as those who have been freed from imprisonment. We are those, the Apostle Paul says, who have been set free, once under the bondage of sin and imprisoned by sin's guilt and its curse, sentenced to punishment. We have been freed by our God. So now what are you going to do? Well, this morning we begin a three-part series looking at the extraordinary life of love that is in a Christian who has been set free by the Lord. And this morning we take a look as we look at Galatians chapter 5 and we see the apostle showing us and directing us just what it means to live a spirit-driven life, life by the spirit in our new freedom. See, Paul mentions here in Galatians 5 to the people he writes to, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Notice he includes himself. All Christians, you and I, have been set free by Christ. You know, we once had that condemnation hanging over our heads as those under the guilt of what we failed to do, the good that we did not do, and the evil that we thought of and that we did hung over us so that our judge, our God, rightly would say that we deserve condemnation. And that prison of sin, something we could not escape on our own. Yet Paul says, Christ has set you free. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We have been freed by the blood of Christ. He has not only commuted our sentence, he has taken our sentence. And he has declared us to be free to go. Not any punishment to suffer, but totally free. Well, what do we do then? Paul has to write to the Galatian Christians, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Now that one is free, one is free to do many different things. And Paul says, don't let it become a chance for your, your flesh, as the word is here, to follow its passions and desires. The word flesh mentioned here in the Bible, often translated sinful nature, stands in contrast to the Holy Spirit, and they're both put in opposition. Paul describes the struggle that one has as a Christian. Yes, we are freed from sin's punishment. Yes, we are freed from its curse, but we also still struggle against the flesh. He says, the sinful nature or the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. If you see a Christian who you know has been freed by Christ and who is guiltless and who stands before God, an heir of eternal life, don't expect them to automatically all the time to live like one who is free because they have this conflict. A Christian is one who will at times find themselves struggling with sin. And to be a Christian does mean to have that very struggle because you have still that sinful heart and yet you have the spirit in conflict with it. You cannot automatically label someone who's struggling in their, their sanctified living as an unbeliever simply because they have that struggle. Paul says we all, we struggle. There's a conflict. We have the spirit but Paul instructs the believers, since you are in the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Since we are now those who belong to God and have his Holy Spirit, he urges the Christians in their life to live according to that. 
And then he goes on to list the acts of the flesh, which should be obvious. He says, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. You know, this list, as you look at it, starts off with something that so many Christians do struggle with. He says sexual immorality. How many of those set free from the curse and guilt of sin have struggled to treat marriage with honor, but in their lives that ended up treating it with contempt? How many Christians have opened the door to sin when they have the opportunity to lust and to look at something in the movie or to listen to something in the music and use that freedom to indulge the sinful heart? How many Christians follow something similar and drift into impurity and they let their, their thoughts and they let their hands and their feet carry them to places which defy and speak against the life of freedom that God has given them? Maybe if you look at the, the next two, idolatry and witchcraft, you can see how they're related. Turning aside from God is the one you love and turn to for goodness to turning to other people or things that you love or trust in or turn to above God. Christians struggle with this. Their sinful heart desires to do this. And maybe you noted the rest of this list. Really, all of it you can lump as things which deal with the second half of God's Ten Commandments. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. You know what those are. We know what those are. It's the division that comes. And it's often two-sided. The division that comes between other people and us because of that sinful heart that strives for its own selfish desires, its own ambitions. We've seen this. We know this struggle, don't we? We can identify what it's like to be free and yet to carry on that struggle. You know, there's people all over this world in God's church that struggle with that. I can recall how when I first was teaching a group of sixth graders, training for ministry, it was in an inner city school. And I thought it would be humorous to simply mention that, you know, what would happen? Imagine what life would be like if your dad came home, started yelling at your mom, threw himself on the couch, turned on the TV and said, woman, bring me a beer. I thought this would be humorous. And sure enough, about 25 sixth graders started laughing. But they weren't laughing because it was out of the ordinary. They were laughing because that was their normal, typical evening, which I was describing. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, even to little children. And this doesn't just happen, don't make a mistake, this doesn't happen just in Christian schools in the inner city. This happens from the trailer park to the million dollar high rise and everywhere in the hearts of all of God's people. There is a dual nature in the Christian and one which struggles, struggles against the spirit. But that so much so a pastor has learned in his ministry not to ask the group of little children what their family life is like in front of everyone else. Because he knows the little girl will pipe up in front of all the class. My dad yells a lot and he gets angry. I don't like it. She knows. He experiences the sinful nature and its works. And it's obvious and painful and divisive. 
we have experienced the sinful nature. It's obvious, painful, and divisive. The Apostle Paul speaks to us here with the same struggle. So what is a, a Christian to do? What, what does Paul do? He says to them, first of all, he notes this is nothing new. He says, I've warned you before, and I'm going to warn you again. Because Paul knows the life of a Christian is an ongoing struggle. He's told the Galatian Christians this will be a conflict. And he's had to tell them, and he's going to tell them again and again. I've told you before, and I'm saying it again. Watch out. And Paul adds how serious this struggle really is in the end. To contend and continue to walk by the Spirit rather than to let the flesh take reign. Paul says, I'm telling you, those who live like this, I warn you, as I did before and will again, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of people that are released from prison end up going back into prison. Statistics say about two-thirds of those will end up within five years recommitting a new crime and once again jailed. They forfeit their freedom. You and I have been set completely free. You and I have every punishment gone. And yet, if we turn back, if we hold on to and cling to and live by that sinful heart, we will reap from that sinful heart condemnation. And don't, don't make a mistake. Paul's not saying you have to live up to your new life to earn it. Paul's not saying you have to prove yourself and show the parole officer you deserve to be free. No, you are free. You have been free, he says. But if you live according to the sinful heart, you disqualify yourself from what you would inherit, the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is a gift, but it is rejected and tossed aside by those who cling to the selfish, sinful nature. What does Paul do? Notice he doesn't go on to list, here's the things you should be doing. Paul doesn't go on to list simply, here's how you can really prove that you belong to your God. No, he, he actually doesn't. He rather goes on to list the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And no, Paul's not just simply going on to describe the opposite of the works of the flesh. We know that. That's obvious. But what Paul's going on to describe is contrasting the works of the flesh, the source of one thing, the evil, and the source of the good, the fruit of the Spirit. Rather than telling God's people to go ahead and, and do better, he says, this is what God works in his people. This is what he produces in their lives as those who are free. God gets the credit. He does the working. Could you imagine that? Just imagine someone who comes home after a long, hard day at work and then sits down and then realizes he needs to get up and serve his family. Can you imagine a two-year-old who instead of bursting out in hot rage against those who took his toy in gentleness shares? Or a 30-year-old who, who instead of saying that's not my problem in coldness and kindness and love says, I will help. And can you imagine that being done, not to gain a reward, not because they're afraid they'll lose their freedom, not because they have to prove their worth to their parole officer, but doing it in freedom, doing it because it's who they now are and it's worked in them. 
Not because they have to, but because they are free and led by the Spirit of God. You don't have to imagine it. That's what God works in the hearts and lives of his people. Those who belong to Jesus, he says, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Paul says, first of all, you have been set free. And he reminds you who you belong to. You belong to Christ. He's the one who set you free. Your freedom and the life that is now yours as a gift is because of him. And so you are his. And you who belong to Christ have taken your old sinful desires and put it with the cross of Christ and consider it gone and dead. When Erlon Woods was released, the governor said that he clearly has demonstrated a new life. And Erlon affirmed, yes, I, I don't want to go back to what I was. I don't, I'm done with the gains. I'm done with the crime. I have a whole new perspective on life. All the more, those who have been set free by the Spirit have a whole new perspective on their old way of life. They have crucified the sinful passions and desires and consider them dead with Christ. And they live for a whole new life. Yes, the, the conflict, the struggle will be there, but the victory is worked out and produced by the God who called them. You have been called to be free. Remember how I mentioned those two different men with their, their different struggles? As it turns out, when you listen to the podcast, one of them struggled because he was alone. He had no plan, he had no help, and basically on his own strength, he returned back and started turning back to the temptation of drugs and crime. But the other one gave credit where credit was due. He had family, friends, mentors. He couldn't do it on his own. All the more, you who have been set free, who now stand with the inheritance of heaven awaiting you and have freedom before you in your life to serve God, do it by the Spirit's working. And this working of the Holy Spirit is unlike any other. Not like the life of this world, but it's something unimaginable, something new, a fruit which he produces in the lives of his people. And within that struggle is found a love which the Holy Spirit has called you to experience from your God. He has given you that love of Christ. He has called you to be his own and belong to him. And he leads you in a new life, an uncommon love led by the Spirit. Amen.